You got your mama's sunshine. You got your daddy's rain. You're like a piece of heaven in a hurricane. Hey everybody, welcome to this week's episode of Off the Mountain Podcast. I am here with Pastor Tom Touchstone, Pastor Ron Vietti. I'm here with Vincent Sierra, hey. myself, Josh. And uh, we're going to talk about seasons today. Talk about. I'm uh, from the north, apparently. Uh, but uh, we're going to talk about seasons today. Uh, there are different seasons in life, just like there are different seasons in the weather. Exactly. Patterns, right? Like we're up here in the mountain today. It's definitely winter. And, uh, you know, you can't rush the seasons, Josh. Mm. Uh, they have to play out. Yeah. Uh, you have to adapt to them. I mean, don't try to wear shorts and T-shirt in this kind of weather. Right. I feel sorry for some high school kids. Sometimes I'll, I'll drive down the road, maybe it's September. It's still 103 degrees out, but they had a birthday and they got a new jacket. Mm. And doggone, they're going to try to push the season. They're wearing that jacket. That's like at the fair every year, everybody, because uh, our fair is in the fall. And, right. uh, but, but we always have a kind of an Indian summer where it's like, you know, still pretty warm. And so uh, uh, you, you'll see all these people rolling up with jackets and, and sweatshirts. And <laughs> 100 you, degrees. Uh, yeah. You can't push the seasons. And, and, and even then, we're talking about, uh, today I want to talk about Mary's seasons, and I want to talk about circumstantial seasons. Mm. Um, but again, we can't rush those seasons. And right now, we happen to be in the holiday season. And, uh, you know, 10 days ago in my sermon, I talked about World War One and how you know, the Germans and the British were out fighting one another in these foxholes, and all of a sudden they called a truce, and they said, hey, we're going to have Christmas together. And it was one of the coolest things that's happened in, in the history concerning World War One or any World War, where the Germans and the British came out, exchanged presents, they exchanged wow. liquor, they exchanged, you know, pocket knives. They, they did their own little Christmas thing, sang Christmas carols mm -hmm. together, played soccer, then they went back to war. Killed and each other. Yeah, and then they start killing each other again. But, you know, I, and I used that idea on Sunday uh, a week ago that uh, right now it's, it's Christmas holiday season, and we're in a cultural war, and we talked about that on Sunday, but it's time to lay aside our differences and just love one another. It's, it's just like that truce in World War I. Right. So, yeah, there, there's seasons in life just like there are four seasons in a year. Yeah, um, and, you know, I think everyone can relate to this because uh, especially when you – you, your life changes, you get a job, um, maybe a career job, uh, or that changes. That's a, that's a big season change. Um, you can, uh, have, you can get married, right. Mm -hmm. Uh, which is a huge season change, uh, having a kid, having two kids, having four kids, like yeah. some people I know, <laughs> um, you know, it's a, the, the changes happen. And then each, each season, uh, changes with the kids, right? It's like uh, I have little kids right now. Vince has kids that are older. Like it's they're in different seasons. Vince is going to high school uh, uh, athletic events. I am going to dance classes, you know. And it's just it's just different. And you know, so I wanted to talk about the four seasons of marriage, and, and I know a lot of our audience out there they're probably not married. And, and at the end, I want to get into circumstantial seasons, which will apply to everyone. But I think probably a lot of the people out there are married. And the four seasons of marriage that I wrote down, and if you want to just start talking about that, I mean, yeah, let's do it. Uh, uh, well, let me say this real fast before you start. Uh, even if you're not married, this could be really good to know before you yes, get married. In yes, fact, I think, right. that, I think that those that aren't married should pay more attention than yes. those that are. Yeah, hey, this, this is premarital. Right there, Tom, that's perfect. This is premarital counseling. Yes, one hundred and one, right here. Yep. Premarital uh, counseling <laughs> does not count. No. Until post-marriage issues. Well, you know, the, the first season that we talk about a lot in our marriage retreats, and we sell out our marriage conferences every year, but the newly married season. And uh, there's a lot of conflict during this season. In fact, you know, the Internet says that uh, most divorces take place. There's a lot of, lot of uh, discrepancy about it, but, but some of them take between one and two years of marriage, and the other one's between five and eight years of marriage. Mm -hmm. And I think what it is is, there's a lot of changes to be made, and some people can't adjust uh, to those changes. Uh, expectations. Uh, a lot of women, especially, and guys, have this fairy tale marriage right. thing. And so they come into marriage with all these expectations. And we know expectations equal, equals your peace. So if you have all these high expectations about marriage, and then you're married two or three years, and the romantic stage that we know of on, in Hollywood doesn't, doesn't remain... Sometimes you start questioning the, that marriage going, oh, this isn't the way I thought it was going to be. Let me clarify what you just said because I think it's important. Um, 
the expectations, if you have too many, that can cause a lack of peace in your relationship. Exactly. Yes. But if you have, um, you have to have some, some right? Some. I mean, but at the same time, um, there is a balance there, right? And that's the word balance again. And just having enough uh, respect for someone to believe in them, to have like, expectations, but then also not to like think that they are in charge of your happiness. Some young married, you know? you know, that is huge. Right. What you just said is huge. You know, again, as Christians, we feel you should get your fulfillment in Christ. Let me give you an example. Uh, one summer, I had like four young couples come in, and, and in, in one sense, they were very similar. All four couples are probably married about six, seven, eight years, 10. They had a couple kids. And in all four situations, basically what they were telling me was, we've lost our romanticism in our marriage. We don't have that romantic flair. We don't, we're not having that fling, which you couldn't live by that all your life anyway, the way Hollywood builds it up. But what I told these four couples was this. I said, you know what? I said, you're going to have to come to a place to where you get this, this romantic flair, you get this excitement, you get this adrenaline rush in your walk with God and your purpose in life. And then it's like, by the way, I'm also married. So many people put their expectations of satisfaction on their spouse, and that is not going to work. Yeah. They were not meant to satisfy you. God wouldn't take all the problems out of your marriage if he could, because marriage is like sandpaper. God uses it to mold and shape us. Right, yeah. It's, uh, I've done some marriage counseling before, uh, and in the marriage counseling, uh, there's this thing where they, they'll, they'll, they'll draw uh, two circles, you know, and one circle overlaps the other circle, kind of like, uh, you think of the Olympic symbol, but just two circles. And in the middle is your own yard, is, is your shared yard. But then on the outside, it's your own yard. And um, they taught us, you know, basically, you take care of your own yard. And that means your own happiness, your own satisfaction, you your own health, um, your own, uh, you know, identity. Uh, but then also you guys are also connected and you have a shared identity and you have a family and there's a, there's a place where you guys are fully connected. But I think what happens is in marriage, we, we think that the other person is going to fix all of our problems. Josh, you, know? you said a lot right there. I have a word for any single men or women out there listening. Until you can become satisfied with your life being single... You're not ready to get married, right? Uh, you can't think that marriage is going to fix everything. And don't, and also on the other end of it, don't come into a marriage thinking I can fix that person. No, because you will end up frustrated. No you know? person can do. It. You know, I, I used to have a trouble because I think all of us at this table have done a lot of um, wedding ceremonies, and when we had the um, unity candle, you'd always say you you know you light one in the middle and you extinguish the other one. That's never really true. Mm. I like the idea now where they pour the unity sand in because you always see the relationship between your individuality and being mixed with another person. You know, so funny. I mean, sometimes when you try to leave them all lit, one would go out and then go, is that a bad omen? You're like, no, it's not a bad omen. Oh, you're, you're cursed. You, you better, but, you know. But, but, but isn't that true? I mean, you're bringing yourself into the marriage yes. and you're going to grow together but it's, it's, it's a idea of a representation of one flesh. Well, all of you know this well. We're all raised in different families and different family structures and habits. Mm -hmm. And so all of a sudden, we got this one little sinner being united with another little sinner to live under the same roof. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and all of a sudden, all these things from the way we were raised comes to surface. In other words... You know, when we were at home, we went to bed at nine and got right. up at five. Yeah. Not me. I go to bed at midnight and get up whenever I can get up. <laughs> My dad was a fix-it guy. He fixed everything, and I expect you to fix everything. And then you marry somebody like me that I hold the ladder for my wife while she fixes things. Uh -huh. And so, you, you know, you, you get all this turmoil of saying, you know, in my family, uh, we rolled the toilet paper this way. That's why a lot of marriages don't make it. Young marriages, they cannot adjust to all the changes all of a sudden. And, and I think they have a responsibility to to be better w than when they started. Because I think what happens when a lot of young people get married, they kind of like, why well, did it? And they start going. Like you you talk about um, incline, recline, and decline. And you talk about it mm -hmm. in growth. Mm -hmm. And I think what happens when young people get married, they're like, I did it. I got married. And they go into recline. Like, I don't need to try anymore. I don't have to go to the gym anymore. And the, some of these things are superficial but I can slack off a little bit. I found the one I married, and then they start, their marriage starts going to decline because they stopped being responsible there you go. for themselves, like you talked about, because they stopped attending to maybe they were not in the Word as much as they should be, and they started doing different things that changed You're before so they right. got married. 
versus after they got married. And that's huge. And so if yes. you're out there and you're young and you're married and you're like, I did it, you just started. And all the guys at this table can tell you, you're just getting started. Yeah. There's so much more to, than well, just. Like you're, you're talking about yeah. seasons in marriage. I mean. <laughs> about what? You're talking about seasons in right. marriage. They said demons well, in marriage. I thought, but we're really going spiritual <laughs> yeah. today. Apparently I need to enunciate <laughs> a little bit better. But uh, no, uh, seasons in marriage. And, and you know, it's uh, there are different seasons. There just are. I mean, there's. Yeah. Uh, you said there's four different ones, right? I was going to talk about four, and I was kind of camping out on this well, this this early marriage, the, the first few well, years. Let me talk. I want to add to the early marriage thing because I feel like I can relate to this too. So when Hannah and I got married, my wife, um, I love. She's right I, outside, no, no, she's outside. Right she now, can probably okay. hear me. I'm okay. She listens to we the podcast, so she she says she learns things from about me from the podcast, and I'm like, that's interesting. <laughs> I'm like, we don't because we don't talk enough. Tom's uh, like, that's fun. But when we first got married, I liked playing video games. It was just something I liked to do. It was like a de-stress time for me. Like I'd come home, like I'm going to play like an hour of video games. And it would drive her insane. I mean, like she would get really, really mad. She's like, really? So when we had our first baby, I was like in full stress mode. I'm like, man, like, okay, the baby's asleep. I'm going to play video games. And she's like, really? You're still going to do this? And I had to go back and look back and say, like, I had a compromise. I had to say, like, is the video game worth and this is early in our marriage like this this thing that's causing you know this situation in our marriage and am i selfish enough to keep playing like if it's bothering her that bad and i think you have to go back and there's gonna be times where you have to realize you are being selfish and you you have to give up some stuff that you used to do before you got married in order to have peace in order to you know move Vince, you said a whole lot there when kids come along now this might be one of the reasons that there's divorce rates at very you know, one and two years of marriage and five and eight or whatever I said, uh, kids come along. Now, maybe you've been married two or three years and you're just starting to get it down. Man, we're going out on dates. We're, we're kind of keeping whatever part of that, that, that initial romance we had going. And then all of a sudden kids come along and now you don't have time for one another. Mm-hmm. You feel neglected. All this arguing starts. Let me say something right now to the parents of young married uh, mm-hmm. children. Uh, you play a big role. I mean, if, you, if you're a good parents and, and you have, you know, kids in their 20s married, offer to babysit once a month when they have small kids. Yes. Say, hey, we really want to do it. We want to be with the grandkids so they can go out and have these date that's nights. Good. But I think that could be the cause of some of the early divorces. Yeah, for sure. I mean, that's, uh, it's huge to make sure that you still prioritize one another. Well, you know, I, I was, uh, heard something some time back, and uh, this young girl called her dad. She'd been married for a year or two. She says, Dad, it's not working out. I'm coming home. He says, sweetheart, you're already at home. <laughs> and then another one, I love this commercial. I, I can't remember it exactly, but this guy's in bed sick, and he's being a big baby, and, and his wife comes through, and he says, hey, sweetheart, when I uh, was sick at home, my mama made me homemade chicken soup. She left the room, come back, threw the keys at him, and said, go to your mom's house. <laughs> <laughs> That's about right. <laughs> That's yeah. funny. But it goes back to expectations, doesn't it? It right. does. That was it does. what they thought the expectation was. I always <laughs> try to talk to young couples and tell them, don't bring those expectations into the marriage. Don't bring somebody else's marriage into your marriage. Yeah. You mean you might need to hear that out there. You you came in and you brought your parents' marriage in, or maybe some idea of a marriage. You got to leave that out because this is your marriage. You're instructed to leave and cleave according yeah. to the Bible. And you cannot expect your spouse to do it the way your dad did it or your spouse to do it the way my mama did it. You got to leave and cleave and start your new thing. And uh, a lot of couples just can't make those adjustments. So you want to talk about the middle age. Now, they, this is going to hit where Vince and Josh is. Uh, and then pretty soon we'll hit Tom's where it's empty nest syndrome. But let's talk about the middle age for a second. These are after you've been married, say, 10 to 20 years or whatever, and, and now you're, you're, you're focusing on your career, uh, you're trying to get your kids, you know, in junior high and high school, and, and at that stage, sometimes you can experience inner turmoil. Uh, all of a sudden, with your identity, uh, your choices, did I make the right choices? Uh, uh, and then you might even look at mortality at that age. I don't know. You get bored, you're unfulfilled, and this is where that terrible Midlife crisis can hit between 40 and 60. Now, you guys are both over 40, aren't you? Yeah. I know Josh is. You're I, over 40. I, in a month. Yeah. And Tom and I are past I had, it. I think I've had a couple of midlife crises. Midlife already. crisis. It, it, it's, <laughs> it's, it's out there, man. And again, it's where, where you start looking back and you start questioning your life going, man, my, my ships are slowly sailing away. I think time uh, goes faster during, you know, we, I hit 40 and I, I, I start thinking about, and I know, you know, you can't in retrospect, but I'm like, I wish I could have gone back and just done more with 
you know, my, my older one, um, my, my high schooler, I'm like, oh man, I wish I would have been able to do with this with someone younger. But now it's like, I have the time now and I got to just be present in the moment. I can't live in the past. I think one of the things going into your mid that comes from the younger part of your marriage too. And I want to make sure this is, I wanted to say this is also be careful who you let speak into your marriage. Cause I think, especially when you're younger and in your middle, you're going to start having issues. When those issues arise, you're going to go to different people yes. in your church. And if you get bad advice early on, that stuff will stick with you. And you got to be able to take good advice and bad advice and separate those two things. You can't let everybody speak into your marriage because it's going to, it will play into your mid. It, it can destroy you. Well, it, it'll, it'll carry on into it, the middle of, like you said, your mid level of marriage. And those things that you thought, like you said, expectations, what people said, you know, this guy should be doing this and she should be doing this. And it's like, wait a second, who, who said all that? You know, so you get to that place and then, and then that all plays out in the middle where you're raising kids and you have all these expectations like we talked about in the season and you kind of, you start, it, it gets deeper. Well, it gets you, worse. I'd like to <laughs> piggyback on that, Vince, because you also have to watch out because you don't want to bring your parents into a lot of the major <laughs> conflicts. Minors, you could bring them into. Major yes, ones, yes. you want to leave them out because you're always going to go back to blood. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's one of the things I told Danny and Tessa when they first got married. I says, you guys keep your major problems in your marriage. Right. You know, if you just want to throw a little idea out and said, hey, we're dealing with this, you know, we're fine with that. But, you know, just your major ones, you need to work out. But also they have a relationship with Jesus and they also have there a relationship with their local pastor right. and local uh, friends. I said, that's what they're for. You want to go to the people that you know are wise in that area. Yes. Pastor Ron's always yes. said, said it. If you go to a church, look at the families, look at the structure. So, so I would tell you if you're out there, be careful what you tell your parents because it can taint them. Tom, let's highlight that. I was a horrible person the first 10 years of our marriage. If my wife had told her parents everything I did, they would have never forgiven me or allowed me back into the family. But my wife was smart enough. She kept it to herself. The only thing she did wrong that I, I think she should have did differently, she should have told someone. She didn't tell anyone. Right. Because I was a horrible, horrible, horrible person. But she was smart enough not yeah. to go tell her parents mm -hmm. And not to, to get them involved because she loved me. She would eventually forgive me, but they quite possibly never would have. Right. And that's so, true. man, that's a big word, Tom. And, and, and man, if you're out there and there's abuse in your marriage, man, you gotta you, you gotta take action. Mm. Yeah. You, you know, there again. I mean, you 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 said it, Pastor. You know, you 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 know, you may not have to get divorced, but you definitely need to seek right. help and get. And some, if you're a wife out yes, there and there's abuse, yes. you tell someone. Tell yes. the right person. Yes. But tell someone. Don't just live with that. Yeah. Uh, because I'm telling you, we have to, like you said, vent to the right people. Think about it. If you're going to a marriage counselor that has a non-biblical worldview and, and they're telling you one thing, then you go to church on Sunday, hear a different thing, you're going to have more conflict. Right. You have to really be wise about who you go to. And you have to be able to come together when you take all that advice, because you guys might you know, you might be going to a marriage counselor and you might be going to church and you're getting all these different advice, but you have to be able to come back to, like you said, I like what you said, Josh, that middle, and I'll call that middle area for just lack of better term, just, you know, the where your purpose lines up together, you know, and if it doesn't meet that purpose and if it isn't biblically sound and it isn't spiritually sound, it isn't right for you, then you have to be able to tear some of that away, right? Because you have to be able to live, you have those two gardens, you have to be able to live in that middle garden. And if that doesn't line up, then you got you have to be able to bend on that. You you can get too many voices in your yes. life. And if you get too many, you're asking for mass confusion. Because everybody's got a different point of view, they have a different problem, they've had a different circumstance. And if and, and you know as as people and individuals come together, you know, we believe as the Bible says don't be unevenly yoked. Yes. That means, you yes. know, you, you know if you're a believer, you don't want to get un, uh, 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 yoked with a non-believer for sure. You know, you, you want to make sure there's some commonality because prayer in a marriage is key. Let me ask you it's this. It's huge. And, and I think you need to learn that before. That's why I think Pastor Ron's always taught us pastors that we want to see people have at least a year of dating behind you before you can get married. Yeah. Because I love Pastor Ron's analogy because it's like a beach ball. You can't hold all your problems under the water forever. It will pop out. Somewhere. I was trying to, trying to find an old rock and roll song and I hear all these voices. They're coming at me from every direction, but... You know, when it gets down to it, all I hear is the echo in my mind. And uh, again, I, I want to just really stress that again. Young couples out there, if you're listening, 
get good counseling, but don't get too many counselors because yeah. you will you will invite mass confusion. Now there's some there's wisdom in a multitude of counselors, but I think that's in the same vein. Uh, I think yeah, when you're hearing all these different opinions going all different kinds of directions, it's going to confuse you. There's wisdom in the multitude of counsel, right? And so yes. uh, you can hear uh, the good in in different voices, but when you when you give when when there's two people involved, especially, and you give your heart over yes. to somebody else's uh, you know words or intentions, and then somebody else gives the other person in the relationship gives their heart to someone else, like it, it just. It doesn't ever work. Let's rephrase that. There is wisdom in a multitude of counselors, but I believe that's written in the vein of the Bible. Yeah. That's all Christian counselors, right. yeah. all godly counselors. Now, there, that works. But when you're getting counselors from a non-believer over here, an atheist over here, you're getting it from here, that's when you don't well, want all those voices in your that, life. And that's also, that, that problem persists way beyond the lines of marriage. I mean, you, you got yes. people who are on YouTube who are trying to learn things, yes. and yes. they're watching 10 different videos from different <clears throat> perspectives, and you know, they're... You don't uh, know anything about the person. You can see what they're doing if they're an influencer, well, but you don't know the backstory. Right, yeah. I think that's important. And that's why you've got to get involved with other people. And I think, I think we've all saw that if you have another relationship, I know you and Vince and Hannah and Ashley are close, you got to have those other people that would be in there, and you got to have those friends that will tell you the truth. Tom, isn't everything pretty much focusing in this area around our Christianity, too? Because in the church, you have all these godly people who pretty much have the same foundation of beliefs, and that's where the multitude of counselors really works. And then you have a church that can pray for you, uh, you're going to hear sermons every week, and it's so important you get into a church that's spirit-led. How many times do we hear every <laughs> single month, man, pastor, you know what? You told us everything mm -hmm. we needed to know Sunday. Or you know what, pastor? God moved through you and confirmed everything we were thinking. And so when you're involved in church and uh, and and you're, you're pursuing a strong Christian life, uh, you know, it's going to make it a whole lot easier, man. Pastor, how many times, and you got Josh, Vince, you and I, have you gone into a service and the worship starts, and after the first song, you're like, okay. I can go home. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, it was my fault. I mean, I, let's be honest. I mean, Tiff and I have come into a, a, a church service before and sat there, and the argument's still clinging on to us, and so we're like stiff as the board. After the first well, song, a guy you slip me, your arm around yeah. and said, okay, your, your body language starts <laughs> Changes. to Changes. Doesn't it? But that's the way we should allow it, too. And, the, and guys out there, there's no place for machoism in your marriage. I, I mean, that is something <laughs> right. that I think pride is something that will eat you on both sides of this aisle. I'm not apologizing. Yeah. <laughs> Don't owe apology to anybody. It, it's, it's, it, I'm telling you, it's, it's one of those things where couples can be so intimate, and then it comes to the basics praying with each other or apologizing to each other is it's become so foreign it's like that's the last thing you want to do but it should be the first uh, and, and it's we're all so guilty easy. of that we're all guilty of that yeah, yeah. you start like we're but it's so funny we went on a date night this last week and i got in the car and i said something about um where we stopped for gas it was nothing i was like i was like is this is this do we want to stop here for gas and she's like, well, why don't you drive then? Because she was driving. I'm like, oh, re really? I'm like, okay. And uh, it kind of turned into a thing. I'm like, I'm sorry, babe. I apologize. And it was just, it killed it. You know, it was just like, whatever. I'm sorry. I like, listen. Well, I was well, just, and it's it's hard to do because I'm sitting there like, oh, you want to you want to do yes. this on date night? Really? Well, and I'm like, my bad. Tiff and I were going to the gym the other day, and I got in her car, and the gas was empty. And I'm like, I, I, I and I've always had that beef with my daughters, and they, my daughter Taylor does it. She keeps her car full. And so I'm sitting there going, we need to get gas. She goes, couldn't we get it later? I go, don't think so because the car, <laughs> we're not going to make it. So, so she goes, well, you know, I, I can make it. I go, no, you can't. We're going to get it. She goes, oh, I said, well, why don't you just say that in the beginning? And I was like, I was like well, hey, we're going to get well, you know, gas. Go, going back to marriage, it takes humility. Yeah. Yes. I, I want to challenge you guys right here. How many times do you think a week you have to apologize to your spouse? Every day. I don't know if I do every day, every but day. I do it. I do it every pretty day. much every two or three days. I have to go in and say, like the other day, I said, "Hey, babe, I was pretty jerky, wasn't I?" I said, I, "I, I know I was. Forgive me." And I think in a good, healthy marriage, you're going to do a certain amount of apologies. Right. Tom's really bad; he has to do it every no, day. No, no, yeah, no. But, I don't but, have but, to do it every day. No, no, I'm not no, that no. bad. <laughs> what it is is you're so busy; something's gonna fly. Yeah, you know, there's going to be something. Tom, you're probably just a little more sensitive than us. No, you probably overlook I, I, some of them, but uh, I, I, it's just my personality. I'm aggressive, yeah. and I just 
have to say it more often. You are aggressive. I like that about you. That's why that's why you you work with me so well. This guy gets her done. Let me ask you this, because we were talking about the mid area. What was your guys' a little bit transparent? Um, what was your guys' big, biggest struggle in that mid level? Like when you guys you got off the you know your baby stage of being married, and then you got to that mid level. What was the biggest thing that was like hard for you guys? Do you really want to know the answer? I to do. That? Yeah, I want to. I was. I really want to know. I felt like that. Uh, I shouldn't have married the person I married. Wow. And uh, I loved her, but I just felt like we had so many differences. And all of a sudden, I was confused about everything. But let me go back. I mean, today, I, I would marry the exact same person. Right. But I went through a phase where I went, you know, should we really got married? We have all these differences and everything. And then I, had, I, I took a long time uh, maturing. And all of a sudden, I go, I don't know if I want to be married. I definitely don't think I want to be a pastor. I went through a huge midlife crisis. So I think I, I just had a season where, and I think she felt the same way. We had such a rough marriage. I mean, if anybody can counsel you about getting through a hard time, Debbie and I had the first 15 years, probably the worst marriage of anybody I knew. Mm. And so we came to a place where I think both of us thought, we really wish we weren't married. We really wish we weren't married. Well, you guys got married at a young age, too. 18 years old. Yeah, she and, her 18th birthday. Yeah, which is insane. Um, but it is but it is common. People do. You may, Sometimes uh, uh, people uh, will have a child, you know, before they get married at a young age, and they, that will force them into kind of a marriage. Um, and I feel for people like that, man. It's, that's that's got to be tough, especially because the, the studies show now that um, your brain isn't even fully developed until you're in your yes. early 20s. Mine didn't I mean, really develop until I was 40. Like you don't even really, <laughs> yeah, like you don't even really have a, 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 yep. a, a solid grasp on reality. Yes. yes. Um, and so obviously you're going to change. And then you got saved after you got married. Yes. Um, and so, yeah, that's like. And a, that's, that's the only thing. thing. The only thing that preserved our marriage yeah. is because we made vows to God, and my wife said, we're not breaking those vows. Mm. And and so it took a long time. I didn't even know what love was. I thought love was an emotion until one guy, day God showed me. He said, I was in prayer, and he said, go love your wife. And I said, I can't because I don't. And God lectured me right there and said, love is a, is a, it's a decision of the will. Uh you're supposed to love your wife because you made a decision to love her. The feelings will follow. And that day was a defining moment because I started loving my wife at that point out of a decision of my will, and then the feelings followed. And all of a sudden I go, I'm really in love with her. And, and I want to encourage some of the young people out there today. Uh, we're older, a lot older, been married over 50 years, and I love That's my awesome. wife at least three times more than I did when I was 30, 40, and 50. That's huge. Yeah, it's rare, I think, uh, for people to stick together for so long. I think that that's something that um, not a lot of people get to experience. You know, they, they don't get to experience the depth of a relationship that's went through so many seasons, right, and so many trials in those seasons. Josh, that's the way love grows. Right. It grows through through being in foxholes together. Again, this is going to be probably something I might regret sharing. But even the times I went through all these things, I, I failed her. And, and got up at 6 in the morning and seen her reading her Bible, saying, Ron Vietti, God still has a promise for you. After what I did to you, uh, seeing her when I went through surgery, getting down her hands and knees and changing my catheter and cleaning it. I mean, when you go through that many foxholes together, it, it brings a love into a life that there's no way you can have that in your 20s. We have weathered so many foxholes together, and I've seen her stand by my side I've seen her forgive me, and hopefully I've done the same. And that love will just grow stronger and stronger and stronger. But it's a complete different kind of love than what you have in your 20s and 30s. Yeah. It's a whole different love. It's much deeper. Uh, and so uh, going back to this middle age thing, uh, you guys maybe haven't went through a midlife crisis yet, and many people do not go through it. I think it's only a minority that do. But you still have to be braced that, that that might come into your life. And again, I think a lot of it has to do with, you know what, I'm, I finally have to deal with the fact that I'm not going to be a professional football player. <laughs> that ship has, has right. sailed. Or I have to acknowledge right now that quite possibly these things are never going to happen. And so I don't know if we need to address that midlife crisis at all. There might be some people out there going through it. Well, and, well you uh, know, Pastor, I, I think this is a big deal because I was a professional athlete. For 10 years. You're a bodybuilder, yeah. yes. Yeah. So, I mean, I made money at my sport, a lot of it. I was uh, successful, appeared in all the magazines, and that's not what it's all drummed up to be. So I think it goes back to expectations. 
because as 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 you become a Christian, I think you you have expectations that you want to serve God, and I think that expectation for me kept me going through the phases of life. And then I think when you get to a, a midlife crisis, if you keep yourself focused and you keep challenging yourself and you keep going and you keep uh, um, changing, you know, the, the, the big word nowadays is um, self-improvement, life change, maybe a, a life coach. I mean, if you keep doing that with yourself, I think you can avoid a midlife crisis because hmm. a midlife crisis goes back to regret. I think most Christians should avoid it because we find our purpose in Christ. We find our purpose in the kingdom of God, and we're constantly being fed, which other people aren't. Do you realize that the majority of the people in the world aren't being fed? Well, they're not spiritual, but they're not getting the encouragement and the counsel that we're getting every week just in sermons on Sunday. Right. Uh, they're not getting what we get. So can it suffice to say that I think most all people who are taking their Christianity seriously, especially men, should not go through a midlife crisis. Now, ladies, on the other hand, we got menopause and all those, you know, those uh, very chemical real changes uh, in chemical the body. changes yeah. that we have to deal with, which is real, right? Well, you talk and you're talking about going through these trials too, but trials isn't the same as the midlife crisis. In California, we have a lot of wildfires and they burn significant amount of forestry. And they say in those wildfires that they're necessary, that those fires are necessary because what they do is they they burn the only way that you can get the seed out of the pine cone is by heating it up and burning it down. And then that gives room for new growth with pine trees, it allows new trees to grow. And I think in our marriages, in our current state of life in these seasons, if we don't go through those fires in our marriages, if we don't go through those foxholes, yes. then we're not able to see new growth. And I think that's one of the things that I'm learning in, in this mid level area is allowing for new growth, letting things die yes. that need to die yes. and and then moving on past that, but letting the new things grow in my life and let those things take root so that I can become the person God has. Well, me thinking about from. farming, uh, if you want grain, you have to have rain, right? Right. Rain leads to grain. I mean, that's the truth. You, right. The storms lead to the crop. Right. I mean, if that if you never have the storm, you well, never have right. the, the life. If you go back you to the agricultural illustration, I was in ag for 16 years. You got to have more than rain. Mm. You got to plow the ground. You got to add do fertilizer. Yeah. You got to plant the seed. You know what fertilizer is? Yeah, it's, it's whole, yeah. It's bunch crap. of crap. What's your Italian word? Crapola? Crapola. I, I, so that's <laughs> the Greek word, crapola. Yeah. So, so I'm crapola. Just so, so I love uh, the, the, the illustration of the farmer with the fig uh, uh, plant when he came. And he says, oh, throw that thing away. And the guy says, no, no, let me dig a little deeper, put a little more water, a little more fertilizer, a little more care. And if it doesn't produce again in a year, then we'll and and even out. add to that, too. Let's add something on the end of that. Being married this long, I know. There's certain things in our lives that probably are never going to change. Mm. And as a maturing person, you have to acknowledge those things and go, okay, this is true about my spouse. It's been true for 20 years. And it's probably never going to change. So now, God, give me the grace to accept it, and let's move on. That's good. You can't let uh, little things become... Well, you can't mountains. change people's personality or, uh, you know, the depth of who they are. Yes. You can definitely change habits, and you can hope for, hope that they will change their habits. But it goes back to the fact, again, that that person, even though they have a huge influence on your life, they are not responsible for your own happiness yes. or yeah. your own uh, health. That's good. Uh, they're just not. And I said something the other day, and I, I said it in church two or three times, and I know it's hard for, you know, younger uh, people who are coming into the church that aren't used to the Christian ways uh, the Christian ways in marriage are a little different than the world's. We really believe in structures, uh, an authority structure and a submitted structure and all these different things, which is very, very, uh, you know, uh, taught over and over again in the Bible. Uh, and so learning a new way of marriage, and, and for example, let me mention that. I was doing a wedding a while back, and in the vows says, you know, I'll submit to you, and and they took me aside and said, we don't want that stuff in our marriage. And I said, I understand. I'll, I'll do a little change here. But uh, in the biblical view and going back to the, uh, you know, uh, the lifestyle that the, the Jewish people lived, uh, and I think it, it continued on in the New Testament, the man's to be the leader of the household and the woman's supposed to be his helper, helpmate, and get behind him. And, and that's not demeaning at all. Uh, again, it's almost, like the, it's almost like the vows should say, uh, I will submit to you as you submit to the, to the Lord. Lord. There you right. go. I mean, because I because we, we talk about submission in a marriage, and what's bad is some uh, preachers out there really mess this up. 
and they've taught that, you know, the guy's a leader and, and whatever he says goes. Uh, but there is mutual submission. I think to make this simple, the man is to willingly take on his role as the leader of the household. He needs to go out and make a living, and he needs to go out and, and, and lead them in, in uh, you know, a spiritual pursuit. He needs to do all that. And as a leader, if you get into the biblical view, he's supposed to serve his wife, serve her, uh, be her servant. And, and the woman is supposed to acknowledge that, that God gave him a different uh, uh, set of, 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 of uh, hormones, made him a different type of body, a different emotional strength. God has made him different from creation than me, and he's more fit to lead our family in many ways. And so as he does that right, I acknowledge that. As far as submission goes, I submit to my wife more than she submits to me because she speaks God's truth more than I do sometimes. And so it's not a, a role of, you know, I'm the leader and you step back and do what I say, but it's a thing of a man going forth and saying, I have a responsibility that my wife might not have been given uh, you know, in, in the creation of marriage, I've got to go out and serve my family. I've got to go out and take them to the altar and pray for them every day. It's a very beautiful thing, and uh, we don't have time to teach on it now, but I think sometimes it's misconstrued. For example, we were in a meeting yesterday with some of our leaders, and they said, Pastor, people are coming into the church that don't know the first thing about Christian values. They don't know how to read their Bible. They don't know anything about the Bible. And we've got to take these young people aside and start teaching them. And when we teach about Christian marriage according to Scripture, when you teach it in its fullness, it's a very beautiful thing. No one's going to go against it. Uh, but men need to, to burden that responsibility of going, I need to take my family to the altar every day and pray for them. Yeah. I need to go out and make sure my kids have what they need. And uh, that's my responsibility to make sure that happens. It's your wife's responsibility too. But the burden falls on your shoulders even more so. And you can't, and if you're a guy out there and you expect your wife to jump in the boat with you every time, like, babe, we're going to do, we're going to do this, but you haven't led her to any victories. You can't expect her just to keep going along to the same old stuff that, like you said, the crapola. So I think, and part of that, like you said, if the guy is not fully submitted to God and is constantly leading his family into mm. this just trouble, this, this chaos, um, then yeah, you're going to have some problems there. So I think you have to go back and look at that word, you know, submit one of the things, one of the things that you probably don't even remember saying this to me. And I remember cause I was young and I was, I was a youth pastor for you before I, I changed roles. And you said, obedience is better than sacrifice. And what you were saying to me, and I, and I took that word, I never forgot it. I'll never forget it. I wrote it down. And you took that word. Cause in my mind, I was doing all these things I thought I was supposed to do. I was going around working hard in all these areas. And you said, Vince, like, I'm glad you're doing all this stuff, but I want you to do this because we ha there's a purpose in mind because this, if you do this one thing, just trust me, it'll lead you to success. But I was too young to, th I was like, oh, okay, whatever. But I, I trust me, all this stuff's better. Vince, obedience is better than sacrifice. And I think we have to go back in our marriage and sometimes just go back to that simple word to say, just, just, let's just do this thing. Let's just be obedient instead of trying to think, well, this will fix my marriage. That'll fix my marriage. I'll do this. I'll do just that. Just be obedient. Just be obedient. Simplify it. And it's, I think if you can get... At the root of it, it's uh, the, the idea of procrastination, right? You know what you're supposed to do. Yeah, there but it is. instead of doing what you're supposed to do, you find all these other, other things, things that yeah. you think are better. Yeah. Just... Well, men and women are created different from creation, and now we can go off on a rabbit hole and that all over the place. Right. <laughs> but, but what I'm saying is... If a, if, a, if a salesman comes to the front door on Monday morning and is really pressuring your wife with a sales pitch, she's having a hard time getting away from him, do you think you're a little better to handle that than her because of the way you were made and created? I usually step in and say, hey, you know what, sweetheart, let me handle that. Yeah. Uh, your wife is a little more aggressive. Fiery, yeah, but, Mine's uh, a little more timid in that sense. My wife's kind, but, uh, and uh, she's not rude. Um, mine's a AAA personality. So she should, should slam the door on my wife is, is <laughs> tough also. So yeah, you know, I think it goes back to a biblical principle in Second Corinthians nine six. The point is, if you sow sparingly, you're going to reap sparingly. If you mm. sow into your marriage, you're going to reap. That's good. Uh, uh, you're going to reap uh, yes. uh, sparingly. But if whoever sows bountifully will reap bountifully. So if you're going to sow into your marriage a little, you can't expect to get a lot back. But if you sow into your marriage a lot. You're going to get a lot. You can expect to get a lot. Well, well going back to this right here, before we leave, because we got a lot more I think we need to talk about here. But uh, because the middle years, you're in them. Mm -hmm. 
Uh, do you want to make any more comments to some of the people listening that may be in their middle years of marriage? Well, uh, I, I didn't realize we were going to focus so much on marriage today, so I thought about seasons in general. And um, the truth is there are different seasons in our own lives, and we have to deal with those while in a marriage. And so um, my problems all of a sudden become my wife's problems because we're married. And so I think that um, if you have some issues going on in your life and your spouse doesn't quite understand it, um, just pray that they would give you space and they would understand what you're going through. Yes. Um, and, and I mean, pray, it. actually pray it, because when a lot of those battles can be fought in prayer, because God does change hearts, he really does. Uh, but also, if the other person's going through something, give them grace and, and, and try to understand from their perspective. And if you don't, you don't. You can't always understand the other person's issues or what they're going through. You're, give you're, them the space to get better. Your mother was gracious enough during my five or ten year thing of a midlife crisis or whatever it was called where I go, I don't know if I want to be married. I don't know if I want to be in the ministry. And, and she was gracious enough to step back and pray for me. And she said, I know you're a good man and you'll make the right decision. And so there's a lot to be said about what you just said. So real quickly, because we do want to get off in other areas, can we just say something real quickly about the other two seasons? And the third season is uh, the empty nest syndrome, which Tom can talk about. And You, you, uh, you know, I go back to an illustration with the empty nest uh, syndrome that you've talked about forever, Pastor, that it goes back to the bald eagles. The mother bald eagle at one point starts making the nest a little uncomfortable for the um, little eaglets, right? Yep. And then... Finally, at one point, the eaglets kind of fall out of the nest. And she lets them fall and tumble for a while. Then she goes down and picks them up and brings them back. And as you do that, I think, this, you know, as Josh and Vince are sitting here, of course, Josh, you can't even think about it because they're too young. Vince has got a, um, gonna, a freshman, getting maybe a sophomore. In, um, junior. Junior in high yeah, school. Yeah, he's going to have his driver's right? license in, so, in so a couple weeks. You could start to see reasons that you've got to make the nest a little rougher Stop. because life. You're speaking a mouthful. Yeah. Because you have to prepare for the season. When you see it yes. coming three or four years off, you have to prepare then. You That's can't good. wait. And uh, because all of a sudden what you will do, if you're not prepared, the kids are gone. And you'll feel a sense of a loss of purpose. Well, it, and you'll go, wait, I was a soccer mom. I coached Little League. I did all Now what do I do with my life? They're gone. They, you, you, you focus your whole life around them. And if you didn't prepare yourself, it's a very lonely and, time, I'll and, tell you. And, and it prepares them for life. Yes. You know, I never planned on making it easy for my girls because I don't believe life's easy. And so when they would go through hardships, and I remember my daughter who played uh, you know, you know, college tennis, and her coach and experience like that, I just, you know, I, I, I took the same opinion with her coach as I did her future husband. I said, you need to keep the hard things between you and your coach because it makes me dislike him, and I want to like him. And, well, yeah. and, and, and so and I, was able, and I was able to like the guy. So I'm just saying, you, as they prepare to get out, it helps us prepare for them to be and out. And what you want to not become is what they call a helicopter parent. No. <laughs> where you hover over them. And you don't release them, and because you're not dealing with this empty nest syndrome, you're trying to show them how to how to run their life. Here's what you should do for a job. Here's how many kids you should have. This is when you should have kids, and they start resenting you terribly, going, "Hey, I I don't want you running my life." And uh, when Taylor was being recruited for tennis, uh, I remember uh, Coach um, uh, uh, Scott Springs in um, University of Rhode Island. He called me one day. It was um, in the summertime. And he goes, "Mr. Touchdown, I've been waiting three years to tell you this." And he goes, I'm not recruiting you. I want to talk to Taylor. <laughs> a smart coach. Smart. <laughs> and, and I go, can you do that? He goes, it's 10 days after her junior year. I absolutely can. He goes, get ready for others. <laughs> and I was like, wow. But, but I'm just saying, it was, that, it, was, it, was that, it was like, hey, there's a point where they have to deal with adults. And other adults will tell you that. And you have to listen to them. Well, you can even go into depression. And uh, Debbie and I had to, to deal with this uh, on a different level, uh, you know, when the grandkids were around a lot, like even on holidays, for example, the grandkids come, there's everybody laughing and everything. When they leave, instead of going, well, that's over with, we go, I kind of miss it, mm. you know? And, and people in, in this stage of uh, empty nest syndrome can actually fall into depression going, you know, what do I have in life now? Um, you know, I just have you <laughs> right. look at their husband or what I just have you. Uh -oh. <laughs> uh, and so it takes a lot of preparation of, of seeing these stages uh, on the horizon. Romy reminded you or reminded you guys who you yeah. have. Well, I said that I said in church <laughs> 10 days ago, uh, we were babysitting 
Romy River, our, our little one, and, She's five. and she or said she three. Uh, three. And so she told my wife, she says, you know what, I've got to go home because my parents really miss me. I've got to go home. And, of course, Debbie, being a good grandmother, says, but, oh, what will I do? I will miss you so much. And I was standing there, and she goes, you got him. <laughs> and uh, But it's so true, though, isn't it, Pastor? Yeah. It was so true that a child could see it. But I think as, as, as people go through those seasons, they pray for it, they're better off because you don't get out of those seasons, Pastor, because you're going to have your family here. No. My kids are all home. And, and it's funny because uh, Tessa has been living in Nashville for two years, and when they got married... Tessa was like, hey, you miss me? And I go, yeah, but I kind of miss Danny too because you've been gone for a while, but he's mm. been here all the time. Mm. So, so I'm getting a heavy dose of him right now, mm. but I said it will balance out, honey. But I'm just saying you, you, you'll go through that, but you got to remember if you keep something in your life that's going to challenge you, that's he, going to look yeah. forward to. Let, let, let me say one last thing because okay. I know we want to turn a corner, but I want to finish this out. There's also the elderly stage in, in, in marriage. And this is where you've rounded the corner on the racetrack of life, and you can see the finish line. And I know we do have some elderly people that listen to us out there, and I think we have to say this. Health issues start arising. Uh, you're in retirement. What do I do with my life now? Uh, should, I, should I make up a will or a trust? Uh, I know I'm going to die soon. Uh, am I afraid of death or whatever, whatever? And so, again, I want to tell those people that are listening, these are, are common uh, temptations and things that we all face because this is what the elderly phase brings along with it. You just have to stay strong in Christ. Uh, I know, you know, as we sit here, I, I have something uh, that I have to deal with that you guys don't. More than likely in 13 years, I'm dead. I'm gone. And I know that. But that doesn't depress me because I believe in heaven and everything else. And I'm determined to live those last 13 years out. I think so many people in their elderly stage, they stop producing. They just give up and wait to die. And so my word to them, and so we can go on with the broadcast, is stay busy, stay with stay purpose. Mm. Live every year you have. Right now, I might have 12, 13 years left. I don't know how long I'm going to live. But you know what? I'm going to live every year. I mean, I've got a whole year ahead of me, and I have purpose. I have things I've got to get done. That is the key. And one thing I want to say to our listeners, too, this is even good for you guys, Whatever you do in your 40s prepares you for the 50s. Yeah. Whatever you do in the 50s prepares you for 60s. I feel like I'm in pretty good shape to be older, an older guy, but what I did in my 50s and 60s prepared me for where I'm at today. You can't wait till you get then to prepare. So again, I know we want to switch a corner, but anything else you want to say about the four stages of marriage? I like what you said about that. Uh, what you're in your 40s, you prepare for your 50s, 50s, you prepare for your 40s. Uh, Tony Robbins said, uh, that most people highly overestimate what they can accomplish in one year and they highly underestimate what they can accomplish in 10. And so the idea was, you know, planting the seed doesn't mean that the following year you're going to see the fruit. No. You might see it in five years. You might see it in six years. You might see it in 10 years. I mean, really, uh, a good example of that was when I was a youth pastor, I was, I was losing hope. I was losing hope in all these kids. They were all graduating <laughs> and they were leaving the church. And I'm like, this is terrible. But you know what? They all came back around. They all came back around. You know why? Because the seeds were planted. Well, yes. well Josh, I, I yes. believe it's tied up in 1 Corinthians 3, 6. It says, Paul said, I planted the seed. Paul is watered, but God has been making it grow. That's right, yeah. So, so it's, it's in a person, it's in a marriage, it's in you know, a church, it's in anything. I mean... God is going to have the growth factor. So uh, biblically, I just I thought seasons. Um, you know, it's like where 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 do you find seasons? What is it? How does the Bible talk about seasons? It talks a lot about seasons. Uh, specifically, Ecclesiastes three one says there's an appointed time for everything, and there's a time for every event under heaven. Now there's two uh, uh, mentions of time there. There's an appointed time and a time. Right now, if you go over to Acts chapter one, the people are asking Jesus, who's resurrected already, and they're in the upper room. They ask him, they say, Lord, is it at this time that you're restoring the kingdom to Israel? Which is not what he was doing, but they still thought that's what he was doing, even after he died and resurrected. They thought he was going to uh, free Israel from the Roman rule, but that's not why he was there. And so what he says to them is really interesting. In verse uh, 7, it says, It's not for you to know the times or the seasons, which the Father has fixed by his own authority. And so in, in Acts and Ecclesiastes, you both have two different words for time. 
And to simplify it and make it easy to understand, basically what it means is uh, there are seasons that are fixed. We know they're coming, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. When it's fall, I know it's going to be winter. When it's winter, I know it's going to be spring. You know they're coming. It's an appointed time. It's something that's set that's going to happen over and over and over. But then there's another type of thing uh, that is an unexpected opportunity that arises in each season. And so uh, it's important for us to be prepared for the ones that we know about. Yes. But also, yes. but also, not to worry too much because in Acts, uh, one more thing that I meant to I forgot to mention was that after he tells them not to worry about the times and seasons, he says, "But you shall ha- you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit mm-hmm. has come upon you, and you'll be my witnesses both in Jerusalem, Judea, and all Samaria." So what's interesting about that is he's basically saying there are opportunities that are ahead for you to do something good. There are trials ahead that are going to be difficult. There are season changes ahead, and you know those are coming, right? Uh, You know that the economy goes up and down, right? You know that uh, health can be uh, uh, affected. Even if you do all the right things, you can still get sick, right? You know all these things can happen, but don't worry about them. Instead, mm, instead, good. instead, One transfer transfer your worry <clears throat> yes. into reliance on the Holy Spirit because God knows exactly what's going to happen in the future. And if God knows and you know God... There you go. Well, what you're saying is we know winter's coming, but we don't know the hurricane's coming. Right. We don't know the tornado's coming. We know the winter's coming. There are temporary seasons. I, I hope they're temporary. But like you said, all of a sudden you lose your job. You weren't yeah. expecting that. Right. All of a sudden, your spouse serves you with divorce papers. You weren't expecting that. Yeah. Now that's a season. Right. And you've and, got and to learn to get through and, that season. And it's easy when you're uh, faced with stuff like that to just completely lose hope and say, well, yep. well, uh, uh, plan A didn't work. Yes. Right? It didn't work. Right. So is there a plan B? And I think there always is. And, and I think it's okay. I think if you if you are forced into it, or even if it's your own fault, there's nothing you can do about the past. Right? I was thinking about that too, right? With seasons. One of the things that we use, we use two tools uh, to basically fight uh, when when a season kind of pops up on us. We have two ways to kind of do this. Um, We rely on the past. We rely on our experiences of the past, right? And how uh, how can you recall the past? There's two ways. One, your memory. And two recordings of the past, right? Both are incomplete. They really are. Your memory, they say that your memory is uh, really faulty. Like they've done studies. The idea is um, that we can't rely on our memory and we don't record everything. You know, have you ever looked in your phone? A a good way of recording things is you write down notes or a better way of recording things is you have pictures, right? Or videos. Right. And you go back and you forget. And you and you and you look at these pictures and you look at these videos. Oh yeah, I remember that, right? You can't remember everything in the past. And right. so when we come upon a brand new situation, what we do is we go into our memory. We try to remember everything we can, right? And then we maybe go to a recording, note something we've written before or something that's been written before. We try to learn what what can we do here. But reliance on the Holy Spirit is totally different. Yes, it's listening. It's believing that everything's going to be okay. It's having faith. And it's not, it's not complicated to have that mindset, but it's not easy. I think it's easy to be distracted. That's why we have the Holy Spirit called the helper. You have to ask him to help you. But how do you get in that mindset of just that. really being reliant? Well, I think, you, I think one of the things that happens in these seasons is we overreact. Like, because we, we, we base our whole life on the situation that we're in, right? How, how, what's happening now, or one of the things I would tell the youth kids a lot is how I'm feeling now, what's happening now, it determines what I believe for now. Meaning, whatever season I'm going through, whatever bad thing I'm going through also determines my faith and what I'm believing. And I think a lot of people get caught up in that. If they have bad, you see people, in, and especially in our day, a lot of people are ending their lives. They're committing suicide because they can't get through that current season because right. they think everything that's happening in that see. moment, they can't see past oh. the storm. They don't they see it as a chapter in a book. They don't. They see it as the thing that's going to completely yes. script their whole life. Well, they wanna, and it's just the moment. They want to make that permanent decision right. in a temporary situation. They yes. want to write the you whole know, book right, right there, there when that's, yes. just the, that's just the cliff note of the things to come. Has anybody seen the show Ted Lasso? Anybody here? Yeah. 
Okay, Vince has okay, seen it. Okay, I see it. Uh, so uh, it's a show about so, this yeah. uh, uh, American football coach who's kind of a obscure football coach, and they hire him in England to uh, coach their soccer team. He's never coached soccer before, and he's kind of a goof, and they end up, they hire him to mess up because they, they, the lady They wants, wanted him to mess up on yeah, purpose. Yeah, the lady uh, yeah. inherits the soccer. Anyway, it's a whole thing. She wants to mess it up because her husband loved the soccer team so much, and she just in wants... In spite of him. Yeah, in spite of him. So, well, But he ends up doing a good job. And so, but one of the things that the people uh, uh, say to him is they, because the team has always struggled, they say, it's the hope that kills you. It's the hope that kills you. And he keeps hearing it. And eventually he pops up and he, and he has a speech. And he says, I've been hearing this, this saying over and over. The, it's the hope that kills you. He said, I don't believe in that. He's like, I believe hope is all you have sometimes. Hope is what you have to hold on to. Hope is what it has to do with faith and belief. And I'm sitting there going, man, he's preaching right now. Amen. You know, it was really cool. And I was thinking to myself, like so many people have that mindset is, is like the hope that kills you. That's why they're so negative. That's why they're so uh, bummed out when, when, a, when a tough season comes, when the storm comes. Right. Uh, you think of Peter and the, the, the disciples and the apostles on the boat. So good. And the storm yeah. comes. They're like, we're all going to die. Yeah. We're all going to die. <laughs> you know, they panic. And Jesus is sleeping. He's sleeping. I mean, right. what more hope can be shown by someone than, than by somebody who is asleep when the storm comes? Yeah. Like, and, ah, no worries. I'm just going to... And again, jump. circling back around, I think that that most of, of the things that come into our life, we can compare to seasonal. I think on, in the majority of them, it's just a season. The loss of a job can just be a season. Uh, a divorce situation, uh, as far as the circumstances involved, can just be a season. There's also, though, things like losing a child. Mm. Yeah. Now, I think if, if, if I think we're going to have to maybe, you know, I'm not even going to say it. If I say continue, because we never <laughs> continue. But I think if I had to end with any one word for anybody in any season of life, it's a chapter in your book. It's just one chapter. It's got to have a start and got to have an end. Don't push it. Don't rush it. Right. Seasons. You can't. Uh, rush winter season. You can't rush summer. It's got to play its way out. Don't rush it. But if I had to say one thing to you, I'd say choose to bloom where you're planted mm. and get the Holy Spirit to help you do that. You can't do that on your own. Ask for God's divine help to bloom where you're planted. And again, hopefully, in reference to the season you're in, you can at one point in the chapter... You know, you it, might not end the the repercussions of that season, but you can end the chapter and say, "Hey, I'm choosing now to start a new chapter in my it's life." It's interesting uh, because theoretically, you can actually fly on a plane and go from one season to another, right? Theoretically, uh, but when I got married, my wife and I got married. We went on our honeymoon, and it was a little bit rainy on the day that we got married. The next day, we were like, "Oh, we're gonna be in Hawaii. It's gonna be amazing." We got there, storms. Tons of storms in Hawaii. We, we flew to the cold, to the to the place, you know, where we thought it was it was always summer, and it wasn't. Uh, and and that that right there is a, an example. Uh, it's a silly example, but it's an example of you can't you can't outrun a season. You can't leave. You can't you can't flee a season. You can't ignore a season. You have to embrace it, and you have to yes. find what God is doing in it. And right now, honestly, I'm preaching to myself probably more than anyone. Well, you know, uh, it's hard to see. Seasons are our seasons are not in our control. But our actions and our attitude is yes, the way we yeah. respond yes. to them. I mean, sometimes that's yes. all we have. Sometimes that's all you have to hold on to. Well, and and, and Tom, yes. even knowing what you can and can't control is huge. Yeah. Because how many people stress about things they cannot control? Yeah. And that's needless. And, and we don't want to be non-sympathetic. I mean, uh, certain seasons can really hurt. Oh, can? They can really be painful. They can really be, you know, really even torturous. But again, I'm saying to everybody out there, choose to bloom where you're planted and ask God for the strength to do that. And at some point in time, choose to end your chapter and start a new That's chapter. Good. And I think we can end with that. Yeah, absolutely. Well, uh, you guys have a good week this week. Uh, it's holiday season, full, full swing. Yes. Uh, take time to stop and relax mm. and listen. Okay, during this season, because it's just going to go by so fast. And be present with your family. Be present yes. with your friends. Uh, call somebody that might be lonely. Uh, reach out to them. We're not doing this for fun. We're doing this. Uh, it is fun. Yes. But we're, uh, we're also doing this to encourage you guys to continue to 
pick up your cross and pick up your responsibility and do what you're supposed to do. And what you're supposed to do ends up becoming the thing that leads to the blessing yes. many times. And, and so, ask the Holy Spirit for help. Ask God yeah, for help. Absolutely. So we love you guys. Yes. And we're praying for you guys. And we will see you guys next week. Have a great holiday. Bye. your mama's sunshine you got your daddy's ring you got your mama's sunshine you got your daddy's ring